Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. I'm Roger, if I haven't met you before, uh, and happy Mother's Day again. Uh, as you probably know, um, those of you who know me a little bit well, uh, I love watching cricket. But when you watch the cricket, at least on free-to-air TV, uh, you've, of course, got to watch the ads. Yet there was one ad over the last couple of seasons that I loved watching. That's the Rexona ad. I don't know if you know the one. Uh, uh, it's the annual office cricket match, and the boss is on strike, and this young red-headed employee is umpiring, and this, another employee is bowling, and the ball comes in, and it hits the boss on the front pad, plum in front, and while everyone appeals in unison, you know, the boss gives the umpire the wry smile and the the shake of the head and then you see the umpire's face and you're like what is he going to do right what's he going to do at that point and then you hear the narrator's voice and he says so what's the plan champ are you going to be a yes man or are you going to do the right thing and you probably know what's happened does everyone know this ad they've seen this ad before well the umpire smiles back and he raises his finger to the light of the bowling team and the dismay of the boss down the other end. Now, why do I share, you, uh, share this with you? Well, I share it with you because I think it's a helpful illustration of what fear of others may make us do or not do. Uh, we fear others' judgment, and when we do, we may end up making decisions that we shouldn't. Uh, What we'll see in today's passage is a person, Peter, who knew what was right. Uh, He knew the gospel and he believed it, but he was failing to live it out. And he needed someone else to remind him of that gospel truth that he might live out what it is that he actually believed. Why don't I pray for us? As we kick off, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the God who speaks clearly to us. And we pray that this morning you might remind us that we are justified by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ who has loved us and has given his life for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we heard last week about Paul defending the gospel that he preached. I was saying it's genuine, right? It's the real deal. It wasn't received from any man. He wasn't taught it by the apostles. Rather, it was, chapter 1, verse 12, received by revelation from Jesus Christ. And then 17 years later, after Paul meets the apostles in Jerusalem, who hear the gospel he's been preaching to the Gentiles, they extend chapter 2, verse 9, the right hand of fellowship when they recognise the grace that was given to Paul. It's the real deal, what Paul is preaching. And when we get to verse 12 of chapter 2, a confrontation occurs between Peter and Paul because according to Paul, Peter, verse 14, was not living in line with the truth of the gospel. Let's take a look first at point number one, Peter's actions. 
and from verse 11. When Cephas, that is Peter, came, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Are Peter's actions here center around who it is that he eats with, who he fellowships with. Uh, Formerly, he had freely eaten with Gentile Christians because God had made it very clear to him that no one was unclean in Christ. You can read about that in Acts chapter 10. But then when certain men came from Jerusalem, verse 12b, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. You see what Peter is doing? Peter began treating them as if they were unclean. And in doing so, because of his prominent position in the church, verse 13, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, Paul's wingman, was led astray. Now, Peter's acting as a hypocrite. He's not being authentic. He's not living in line with the gospel and not living in line with who he is and who God has made the Gentiles by faith. Now, why did he do it? Why did he do it? He did it, verse 12, because he was afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. Now, it's easy to make wrong decisions based on fear, fear of what other people might think. You see, it's not like Peter no longer believed the gospel. He believed it, right? He taught it. He just feared living out its implications. I think we might do the same sometimes. We fear mentioning Jesus in conversation with the soccer dad. That's me. Or it might be for you, a friend from garden club or, or a mate from work or school because we want to fit in with those around us. We join in gossiping rather than opposing it because we fear the disapproval of the group. Or maybe more inconspicuously, we fear connecting with those at church who aren't like us. They might be a different race, a different social standing. Uh, they're white collar, and I'm blue collar, or vice versa. And, and so engagement with them tends to remain superficial therefore creating or thereby creating these invisible barriers within church and excluding some from rich fellowship. Or maybe we fear graciously bringing a clear sin before a good friend and sister in Christ because we don't want them not to like us or we fear that they won't. But Paul here, he won't let fear stop him bringing Peter's sin before him. Uh, Take a look at verse, uh, take a look rather at point number two, Paul's response justified by faith. And from verse 14 we read, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You're a Jew. 
yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Peter's public actions here have led others astray. And so Paul here publicly confronts him. Peter's withdrawing from Christian Gentiles, and by doing so, he's inferring that they need to become Jews first before they can be right with God and included amongst the people of God. Now, Peter doesn't believe that. He doesn't actually believe that, but he's acting in a way that is excluding them and suggesting that they must. Uh, But notice here, Paul doesn't just identify Peter's sin and its effect. He now actually graciously reminds him of the gospel, who he is now through faith in Christ. Verse 15, this is written, this is said rather to Peter. Peter, we are Jews by birth. Not Gentiles, not sinful Gentiles. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He's saying, Peter, you are justified through faith in Jesus Christ. And so are your Gentile brothers. Uh, The word justified, as I've been teaching the Nexus youth on Friday, and this is a helpful way to remember what it means if you don't know what it means. It means just as if I had never sinned. Justified just as if I had never sinned. It's actually a courtroom term. A declaration of innocence. It's the opposite of condemnation. Justified. Uh, a guy I studied with at college had a family friend by the name of George. And George got involved in the wrong crowd and was convicted of a few different offences before becoming an adult. But at the age of 18, his criminal record was wiped clean. When he was about 18 and a half, he was pulled over by the police and he was asked a number of different questions. And one of them was this. Do you have a criminal record? And he looked the police officer in the eye and he says, no, I don't. And the policeman checked his record and it was clean. When it comes to you and me, our sin record has been wiped clean. Jesus has dealt with it. Satan can no longer accuse. The record is clean. The verdict is in. Justified. Just as if I had never sinned. If you're a Christian here today, that is you. You are innocent before God. Satan cannot accuse. Though we sin, God sees you as innocent. And that is the heart of the gospel. 
Uh, When I was reflecting on Paul's gospel-filled correction of Peter, it made me think about the way that I might tend to correct others. When a brother or sister in Christ sins, it's so easy to tell them, oh, just don't do it, right? You, You know what's wrong. You know what's right. Choose what is right. But the gospel says, actually, you're not guilty, Uh, You are washed, you are cleansed in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. When he looks at you right now, he sees his son and he says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. With you, I am well pleased. I love you. You are my child. For there in the love of the gospel is actually the motivation and the power to live for God. You see, if I'm justified by faith in Jesus Christ, it's actually also the way that I live by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the next part of Paul's response to Peter. Point number three, Paul's response, living by faith. Peter, as a Christian, knew the verdict was in, right? Justified. But he, like we often do, we try to re-enter the courtroom. And I think that's what Paul is saying in verse 18. He says, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Uh, Peter is saying, if you, if uh, Paul is saying rather, um, Peter, if you rebuild what you destroy, that is, if you reinstate the law as a means for justification, as a means for salvation, the law will simply condemn you because you failed to obey it perfectly. I don't reinstate the law, Paul says, verse 19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I don't live for the law anymore. I don't, I don't live for that as a means for salvation. I used to. You can read Philippians chapter 3. He lived for the law. He was the, the best Jew out there. But I've died to that as a means of salvation. I can live for God now with no fear of condemnation. The law made Paul a very moral person because he was trying to be saved through obedience to it. But it actually also made him very self-righteous and stopped him living for God because he was living for the law. But now, Paul says, I have a new motivation, verse 20. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's very personal, isn't it? God loved me. Jesus died for me. I'm now a child of God. I'm part of his family. I don't have to work my way into it. You see, the means to obedience doesn't lie simply in spelling out the law. You can educate someone, and that's what our education system does sometimes educates us in what's right and wrong but it won't change us Paul will say in his letter to Titus it is the grace of God 
is God's undeserved kindness in sending Jesus to die for you that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. That is where the power and the motivation for real change happens. To reinstate the law as a means for righteousness would be verse 21, to set aside the grace of God. And in doing so, it would mean, again, verse 21, that Christ died for nothing. Either Christ does it all or he does nothing. Sometimes, I don't know if you get this, have this thought yourself, but sometimes I think to myself, oh, I'm a pretty de- decent guy, right? You, you might think the same of yourself. I'm a pretty decent person. No, this is not quite me. I drive a Tesla and not a Mustang, right? I'm environmentally friendly. I give my money to charity. I don't cheat on my wife. I even go to all my children's soccer games, even when they're at different times. Uh, I, go to, I go to all my uh, children's school awards nights I, and both my daughter's dance classes three times a week. I'm just prophesying about the future. That's not actually happening yet. I take communion each week at the 8 a.m. service and then I come here to 10 a.m. and then I go to 6 in the evening. But I am paid to do it, so it's okay. They're not bad things to do, right? They're all good things. But if we live for those things, if those things become the means by which we justify ourselves before others or before God, then we actually stop living for God and we start living for our own righteousness to look good before others. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. That's living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that Jesus has loved us and he's given his life for us. We pray, Father, that we would not live seeking to justify ourselves before others or before you, but we would know always that if we are Christian here today by faith in Jesus, then the verdict is in, just as if I had never sinned. Help us, by the power of the gospel, to live not for ourselves, but for him who died for us. We pray it in his name. Amen.